Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are you ready to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Welcome. I'm Polly and this is Simply Write where we talk about creating a writing career and living the writer's life. And it's an interesting profession because it requires attention not only to the craft of writing and creating, but also the business end, the invoicing and the licensing and the pitching and the marketing, all those things that it takes to get your work out there before the readers. Can it be done? Absolutely. And I like to highlight some of the things that I'm learning along the way with you on Simply Write. Now, everybody's process can look different. The goal is to find what works for you to help you get the writing done and to structure the business so it's sustainable, right? So you have some systems and processes that help you get the work done and get the work out there and published or billing, invoicing for it with custom clients and so forth. So uh, I, I like to start with the dailies. What does a day in the life of a mid-list writer look like? That, that's me. I'm not a bestseller. I'm definitely making an income. So this is not a hobby for me. I'm middle of the road. And what does it look like to sustain that? My dailies today. Let's see what I'm up to. Oh, I'm working on a uh, fiction project. And I've been taking notes on that all week, just thinking about some things I want to add into a chapter on a second run through now. And there's some pieces I want to include. So I've been writing notes in my traveler's notebook. I like to do some of that by hand. Um, Once in a while, I'll record a voice memo on my phone or drop a note in uh, keep notes or whatever it is. But mostly I like to write by hand. That's just me being quirky. I have good paper and good pens. (laughs) I like it. Uh, So I want to take those notes and get them into place today. Kind of uh, map out, write the chapter, see how it ties into the last. Um, I've tried this before. I've been working on this chapter a while and it's, uh, I, I haven't, it's not coming along. So I decided to do it a little differently and give some space to it in my head and go on to another part of the project. But now today I need to come back to that. I have a meeting on Zoom and that's coming up in about a half hour. So I will um, primp. Yes, I will comb my hair. I will put on a nice blouse or shirt. I will, you know, do a little blush, a little makeup. So I look like a professional writer, not just a sitting in my sweats kind of writer. And I'm developing some themes and ideas for 
my Substack column, which is on simplywrite.substack.com. Uh, if you want to check it out, people are signing up and joining our community. If you join as a paid subscriber, you can get access to the comments section and receive feedback on your work or ideas about the things we talk about here. Um, and also you'll receive writing tip sheets, special, more in-depth pieces. When I write and publish those, you'll get a tip sheet to use as your own guide as you work through some of these things in your own work. And you could ask questions and that sort of thing. But otherwise, you'll get one column a week as a free subscriber that talks about the things I'm exploring and learning in my own work and writing. So those are the few of the things I'm working on. For that Substack column, I'm mapping out some future ideas in my own editorial calendar. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the importance of keeping an editorial calendar. It's an important tool to me. It's always flowing, always working as I get new magazine assignments or blogging assignments, as I get new custom projects, uh, podcast topics and release dates and guests go on that. Uh, Substack topics and deadlines go on that. Everything I'm writing, my fiction project, when I want to hit a certain chapter by a certain timeline, that goes on that. It's basically a blueprint for how I'm going to get the writing done. Um, and it coincides too with uh, the editorial calendars of publications I'm working for or want to work for or write with or my custom clients, the things that the special events that they have coming up and the ways to target uh, material and content to those needs. So you might want to go back and listen to that episode. It's one of the earlier ones about creating an editorial calendar. For me, that is an invaluable tool for uh, keeping the business going and afloat and the merging of creative and business ideas. And you'll also find as you're looking at other publications and custom pubs online, that many times they'll have their own editorial calendar and you can go and look at what topics or focus points or themes they have coming up in the year and that gives you a good idea about what to target when so you can sell more of your work. So tune in, create your own and also uh, check into what the publications you're curious about or the businesses, the corporations you're curious about working with, how they structure theirs if they have one. Sometimes you can find it under the about section or in the media section on their tab. So check it out. And that's what I'm working on today. All right, it's time for that craft talk. By the way, do you like that typewriter sound? I love that sound. I'm so impressed with myself that I figured out how to do sound effects on this thing. Um, and I love that sound. It takes me right back to Mrs. Escala's typing class. My senior year in high school, we, we got to work on electric typewriters. This tells you that I was born during the prehistoric times. Um, but still, I made it out and I learned typing. And it was just a year later that uh, that typing class became some of the first computers. So from the time I left high school to the time I graduated college, there was that transition, there was that transition from typewriters to computers that quickly. Amazing. And when I became a full-time writer in the olden days, I was 25 years old, and 
the internet was just coming on. We still had dial-up modems and all of that, and AOL was the big. And and in those days, I had to have a special dial-up number to dial in my stories to the Oregonian newspaper, who I was freelancing for at the time. The magazine pitches were sent all by um, envelope and letter, right? So it Definitely the internet and the email and the way we can formulate pitches and interact with publishers and editors and agents and other writers is fantastic. That's a huge uh, boon, and I appreciate that very much. But, you know, the crafting, crafting of the story, writing a good story, essay, article, those fundamentals are not changing. They may be about different topics or include different components or, you know, you can play with structure, but every story needs, you know, first of all, to be hinged on a a good idea, which we talked about a few weeks ago. They need a clear focus or theme, some sense of direction, plot, where you want to take the story. A a strong opening, beginning, a newspaper jargon, we called it the, the lead. And, uh, a powerful ending. And so we've gone through the process, you know, touched on it. We'll come back to it over the next episodes because there's central aspects to every story. But today we're going to talk about the endings, how to shape an ending. How do we end a piece? Now, we're not going to talk about how you know when the piece is done. We will at some point. That is not about today. That's a whole nother can of worms. It's more about intuition and sense and information and pacing and all those things. We will definitely get into that in the weeks to come. That's a topic, an idea, a question that comes up a lot for me among uh, beginning writers. They want to know, how do you know? How do you know when I'm done? Um, but today we're going to talk about the how to structure the actual ending that's going to go into the piece. Now, I spoke with award-winning short story author and novelist, Art Taylor. He will be a guest um, on episode 115, which is dropping next week. Um, he writes crime fiction, short stories, and novels, and I suggest you go listen to that when it drops because he is fantastic, and he's also a writing professor at George Mason University. So he has a very professorial way of delivering information about writing, and it's really clear and really great to understand. I learned a lot from him. I think you will too. So be sure to look for episode 115 when it drops. But he often starts at the end of a story. That's where he'll start writing. And then he'll go back to the beginning and fill in different scenes. And then, you know, he he doesn't always work in a linear fashion. Um, I almost always work in a linear fashion. I've, I've mentioned before that I have a hard time even starting unless I have some sense of what the beginning is. And that means something written, whether it's an article or a chapter or whatever it is I'm working on. I want to know where I'm going to start. Now, will that change zillions of times? Of course it will. It will be revised and almost never do I have the actual words for the opening that I that I use in the final piece. But I like to know what the beginning, where I'm going to start in the story, how far along I'm going to start. And I think part of that is because it helps me know the ending. Whether you write the ending first or not, I think to write a book, to write an article, to write an essay, you really have to know how this is going to resolve in some way. Now, in the novel I'm working on, 
I don't know every little detail, but I absolutely know what the main components are. When I write an article, for example, if I'm writing a profile and I've done all the research on that person and extensive interviews and, and all of that, often during the research gathering pieces and the interviews, I will get a sense of how I want to wrap up the story. It's not necessarily the ending of the person's life or the ending of the activity that I might be highlighting. It may be something else. It might show up differently, but I get a sense of that in nonfiction during the research phase, almost always, partly because I'm, I'm looking for it, right? What encapsulizes this person? What is a single quote or action or event that that reflects back on on what this person achieved or or their infamy or who they were uh, in the course of this moment that I'm writing about in their life. So I keep that in mind when I'm writing. A personal essay almost always will circle back around to the transformation experienced by the main character. Now, you're the main character, right? In a personal essay, often we face a challenge or an experience or a problem, and we've dealt with it. And the essay is about how we deal with it and how we transform because of it. We are different at the end of that essay. And so the ending can encapsulate or showcase a moment that illustrates that difference, either in a statement or a scene or whatever it is. So there are lots of ways to do the endings. In general, I want you to think of it this way. And this was something that was written about and told to me by my writing professor millions of years ago. She became a mentor to me and she was a well-established writer, um, magazine writer for all the big names. And she said, it doesn't matter what stage in the process you do write the ending at, but you need to have some strategies about how you're going to leave that ending on the page. And every good ending, she says, needs to be a serving of broccoli and a serving of chocolate cake. So what does she mean by that? Broccoli is the information that readers need to know to tie up the story. Now, sometimes an ending will be purposely vague and ambiguous. That's up to you as the writer. If that works for the story and the piece that you're writing, that's one way to end. But still within that, there needs to be some information that the writer needs to know so they can reflect on what they learned in the piece or that brings the character full circle or leaves them thinking about the direction the character may go next or or what the transformation meant to you, right? It can be vague if you decide to go that way. Now, now I don't, I think that can be very hard to do, a vague or an ambiguous ending. I, it happens more in literature than, for example, um, a personal essay because people want to know the transformation you experience. It, it doesn't happen very often in crime fiction. Why? Because people want to know how the mystery resolved, right? But you may have a character who is on the fence about getting married or not, and that might not be tied up. The mystery may be resolved, but there might be pieces that are loose and outstanding. But you need the broccoli, so the information the readers need to know that solidifies the piece. And the chocolate cake is the very last thing you put on the page. And that is the information they want because it leaves them feeling satisfied and good or curious. Whatever mood you want to create in your book or the ending specifically needs broccoli 
the fundamental information to make sense of the whole piece and the chocolate cake, the mood, the emotion, the feeling that leaves the reader satisfied. They get answers to the big questions. The mystery is resolved. They, the couple gets married, or at least you have some sense that they are okay, whatever it is, or they've overcome great challenge. And, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I listened to a true crime podcast, and the whole podcast was about this particular legal case. It was about the investigation and the slow roll to justice. It took like 30 years for there to be uh, a resolution in court for justice to be served. So the whole story was very legal. Uh, okay. But there was one character in the story who was the daughter of the woman who had been killed decades before, who was the daughter was now all grown up. And so she was sharing some of the memories of the case and the process of testifying in court and all of this. The story wasn't about her, but she was a character within the story. And at the very end, they talked about the legal resolution, how the perpetrator went to jail for life, right? That is the legal resolution. That is the broccoli that tied up the story I was listening to. But the chocolate cake then went on to, in a very succinct way, explain that because of her traumatic experience, the grown-up daughter went to law school and actually became a defense attorney instead of a prosecutor. And that was the chocolate cake. I'm still thinking about that. I still remember that ending because we got a sense, first of all, that this little kid, you know, who experienced this terrible trauma was okay because she got herself through law school, right? And and she has a job and, and there's some part of her that is okay. But we also got the chocolate cake, that lingering feeling uh, it piqued my interest. It was unexpected. It was a surprise. And that is definitely a combination of the broccoli chocolate cake ending. Depending on what you are writing, if it's a, you know, 1500 word essay, or a 750 word blog post, or a 300 page novel, your ending will be different lengths, it will do different things. But you want to think about the components that also serve the story and the reader. Now, they should be one and the same, but there will be pieces of broccoli and pieces of chocolate cake, and you need to make sure the reader gets both of those. So how do we do that? How can we think about endings so that we bring a good serving of broccoli and chocolate cake and leave a sense of story that lingers with the readers? We're going to talk about it right here when we come back on Simply Write with Polly on the Creators Network of Electrocast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. This is Simply Right. I'm Polly, and you're listening to the Creators Network of Electrocast. All right. How do we write an ending that is 
both in service to the story and the reader, the broccoli and the chocolate cake, something that will linger. And if you're writing a series or have a number of other articles or essays out there, you want to think about that because often the way we leave the reader will drive them into your next piece of work or editors, right? Sometimes the editors are your audience, so you can sell more work. So a couple of ways to think of this. And how you do it will depend on the genre you're writing in. I mentioned crime fiction. You need to answer the big questions there for most people. Otherwise, readers are going to leave feeling dissatisfied and frustrated. Um, Happily Ever After is another ending. Hallmark, I'm thinking of you, right? You want the boy and the girl to come together or the girl and the girl or the boy and the boy. People who love each other, you want the happily ever ending. She's going to decide to stay in the small town with her. He's going to decide to leave his big city job. Whatever it is, the protagonists are going to come together. That's the happily ever after ending. Now, when I'm writing personal essay, there are never these endings, right? Because I don't think life is happily ever after. In romance, in um, some screenplays, we want the happily ever after, and those genres provide it and allow for it. So consider who you're writing for. In my essays, there's not a happily ever after. Life can be messy, but that doesn't mean there isn't growth or hope in the ending of those because I think essays are about transformation. It doesn't mean everything always feels good to the reader or to the writer, but it means there's some sense of growth that can leave the reader feeling hopeful, right? Okay, so happily ever after ending. You can circle back around and resolve an anecdote or a scene you started at the top of the book or the article. I do this a lot in profiles. I will open with a scene of the character, the person I'm profiling, um, doing something that he or she does that is part of their regular routine or demonstrates the main crux of the story. And then at the end, I may come back around and have them finish that. When I wrote about uh, giant pumpkin growers, which I have, which was fascinating. I loved it. You know, I started at the beginning when they work months in advance to get just the right seeds. They cultivate these special seeds. And I ended with one of the pumpkins splitting at the way off. It was crushing ending. It was unexpected because this guy was going to be the world champion and his pumpkin broke. No, nothing to wear, right? But It was uh, a way to pull that through in that story. When I wrote about um, female embezzlers, uh, I worked on a program uh, detailing an FBI program, and I interviewed and and featured these embezzlers and, and wrote about that kind of crime. I talked about the problem. I opened with the problem, and at the end, I detailed the devastation, and one of them actually being convicted and going to jail. So that's kind of a full circle moment. I started with an interview of of one of these people, the way she would rip off her employer. And I ended with her actually going to jail, going to the penitentiary. So there are lots of ways to start and, and, you know, start with an anecdote or a certain scene and then pull it back around. Um, In the novel I'm working on, I'm starting in a certain locale, a certain setting, 
And I already know that while there will be many caveats to the very ending of the book, you know, the ending in in this book is going to go on for several chapters. But um, at the very end, it's going to end with the main character standing in the same place where she started in the same scene. So those are some strategies to think about it. You know, I like a surprise ending. Like I told you about the podcast I listened to that was all about this legal case and this little girl being traumatized and victimized and later pulling it together and healing and going on to become a defense attorney herself. That was a surprise ending. It fit within the realm of the story that they were telling about the judicial system and then went on to say she's now a part of it because of this experience. All was not lost. And that was a surprise ending that really stuck with me. I thought that was really smart the way they did it. Now, how effective an ending is goes beyond just the details you're putting in and the way you're structuring it. It goes to word choice. It goes to sensory details to try to create that mood, right? You need to present the information, but you also want that sense, that feeling that I talked about, that chocolate cake that lingers with the reader. So it's pretty complicated. And that's why I say whatever stage you start working on the ending, Keep it in your mind and know that after you write the ending to any piece, you can come back and revise it. In fact, you should. I think writing is really about the revision. So get something on the page to anchor you, but recognize that you might pull in a different strategy or technique or different information than what you initially started with. As you go through your own story, no matter what you're writing, you know, a nonfiction book or a piece Um, as you go through the story, how you put the words on the page there may change. And that's okay, you get to go back and do it. But it's a good way to anchor yourself to have some sense of where you want to wind up. I write personal development books. And in those books, I end with kind of a full circle moment for me, because a lot of what I share in the books is personal, the the psychology I've learned, the things I've tried out on myself, um, the science, the experts I've talked to, and how I've applied them in my own life, hoping that maybe they will help you too. And so in the pages of those books, I end with a moment when I used one of the practices in my own life and the result it had for good or bad and this humanity that that we can all continue to grow and improve and we don't have to get it right all the time because the mood I want to leave in my books, in my nonfiction books, is one of hope and optimism. So I'm going to pick a story that's going to enhance the bigger theme of the book and you recharge, the bigger theme is about getting unstuck and revitalization and health energy, well-being, growth, and the ways, the practical ways of taking small steps, building small habits in the course of our day to get there. So at the end, I I talk about how that's playing out for me, my own health, and, and how this stuff has helped me. Um, and I had a particular scene in mind when I started writing that book. Uh, it changed a couple of times as I learned new things and got in the research, other stories came to mind. And that's how I ended that book. Because in that book, I want the service to the readers to be this feeling of hope and optimism. And if she can do it, I can do it too. So I'm very deliberate about how I end those books. Okay, so there's lots of techniques you can try full circle the vague or ambiguous leading ending that might lead the reader into your next book or the next piece of work you can use a direct quote if it uh 
unique, if it both uh, is relevant to the story you're writing, the article you're writing, but also presents a piece of new information, which can be a new emotion or a different take on uh, the main character or whatever it is and something that lingers. You can do the happily ever after ending depending on what genre you're writing in. But even then, even in these stylized uh, components of craft, you can make them surprising. It doesn't have to look like everything else you read. In fact, it shouldn't, right? You know that. So if you want to create a happily ever after ending, then start thinking now about how you can tweak that and play with that, the word choice, the pacing, the structure, right? Um, is it going to happen through text calls? Is it going to happen through script format? I don't know. I don't know what that's going to be. Um, but it's worth looking for ways to create differences in structure and pacing and word choice uh, when you use some of those common finishes so that you still surprise the reader or engage the reader in a way that they weren't expecting. A cautionary note, <laughs> it's easy to get fatigued, right? When you're writing, you've written this whole novel or you're working on a long form article or an essay where you've been really dealing with a lot of big emotions and you're working in your body, right? It's easy to uh, slip through the ending without a lot of attention or focus because we're anxious to wrap it up. Do not do this. Put it away. Come back to it. Revise. Keep tweaking. You want to leave the reader with a lingering impression and really do service to the piece. If you write a great piece and you drop the ending, it can really dull the resonance of the work. So keep that in mind. Give yourself the time. Recognize that the ending is equally as important to everything else we'll write in the book and maybe even more so. And uh, stick it. And if you want a tip sheet about beginnings and endings, join our paid subscriber base at simplywrite.substack.com and you'll get some information you can use to keep at your desk in front of your computer to rely on when you get to that stage in your work. And it's time for what's in the desk today, but now I'm talking about what's on the desk. And on my desk, I'm, I'm a pretty organized desk person, unless I'm in the midst of a big project, like around the middle of my books, then it's files everywhere and papers and notepads and all kinds of things going on here. But normally I'm a pretty clutter-free desk person. Other than a few sensory objects on my desk that I can hold in my hand when I'm thinking or kind of rub my fingers over, I don't know. That helps me sometimes to pick something up and as I'm pondering things, uh, uh, have something to touch. It takes me um, out of my anxious feelings and helps me pause and become more mindful. And that seems like my mind clicks in a little easier that way. So I have some things on my desk that do that and like a glass heart and, and things like that. And today it's what's on the desk. This is one of my favorite things. A friend gave it to me years ago uh, so that when I look at it, I feel inspired. It's an inspiration bot. Have you heard of these? These are little dominoes that have a bot on it. Mine is an orange three-headed robot monster thing with a big smile and a pink t-shirt and an exclamation point, all painted and drawn on the back of a domino. 
And it just makes me happy. It's part of the Bot Joy project by artist and designer Gary Hirsch. If you want to see what I'm talking about, go to botjoy.com. It's B-O-T-J-O-Y. And mine is Bot Joy number 331,656. He's made millions of these things and even painted murals all over different towns and so forth. It's a way of really connecting with the inspiration and the joy in life. And um, he teaches other people how to make them too. So I love my Bot Joy. Go to BotJoy.com, see what I'm talking about. And that's what's on the desk today. All right, it's time to wrap up our show on endings. Thanks for joining me here. Remember, keep the broccoli common in service to the piece and the reader. And Leave us with a dose of chocolate cake. I, I want a big piece of chocolate cake because that is the emotion and the mood and the thoughts that will linger with me when I go on. I look forward to reading your work, so keep at it. Author Kate Atkinson says it this way. The beginning is the word and the end is silence and in between are all the stories. Now it's time to make your own stories. So sit down and simply write. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.